This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. A top expert on manufacturing logistics sees good times ahead for U.S. companies and their workers as more firms bring jobs back from Asia. She's Lisa Anderson, a Claremont, California-based consultant. She says near-shoring, which is getting operations set up in places close to the U.S., like Mexico, and reshoring, bringing the jobs actually back into this country, are a new reality. Lisa Anderson talks about what could become a major shift in the economy in this Biz News podcast. Uh, Lisa, to prepare our listeners and viewers for the interview, would you take a moment to first explain what do you mean by the terms reshoring and nearshoring? Sure. So reshoring is bringing production back to where it was originally, in essence. So uh, early on, it we produced everything, well, most everything, in the United States. And then we offshored uh, to China and other places in Asia for many years. And so reshoring is bringing, bringing it back to its original shore, if you will, which is the United States. And then nearshoring, uh, what I mean by that is, uh, it's in essence bringing, it's moving production back to well, it doesn't have to be back, but moving production closer to the customer. Um, but it also implies, because it's got the word shoring in it, that it's bringing it back. Uh, well, it's at least moving it across the ocean <laughs> and moving it closer to the customer. So it could be like, for example, we have lots of customers and consumers in the United States. So it could be moving it production back to Mexico, as an example, because uh, they have lower labor costs and and lower costs in general, uh, but it's still located very close to customers that are uh, in the United States. So that's that's generally speaking how folks use the terms, but they also get mixed up and interchanged. Uh, you seem to be pretty optimistic about a return of at least some of those manufacturing jobs that were sent to low cost labor countries, uh, but why are you optimistic in this regard? All right, well, for many reasons. So, uh, well, for example, one of my clients uh, has had offshored, just like everyone else, uh, and moved production to China many years ago. And they were ahead of the crowd and they ended up moving most of that from China to Vietnam. Uh, now they are ahead of the crowd again and they are moving production uh, to uh, Mexico since they have facilities in Mexico. Uh, 80% they plan to move, move back uh, within the year. So that, that's just an example, but the reasons why is that customers are, you know, we, we all have uh, been living with the Amazon effect. So from a customer point of view, we're thinking we should get our products quickly. Uh, so lead times are continually getting shorter um, and then really more important recently since the pandemic is the ability to be resilient. So customers are changing their, their mind. And in some cases, not because they planned to just because customer expectations are evolving with the pandemic. Uh, You know, let's, 
let's say you started off buying one product and just as a consumer, you can think about this. Uh, if that product wasn't available, you still needed something. So you bought a different product to replace the product that you used to, that you used to buy. And you found out, well, you know what? I kind of like this feature about this new product. And so suddenly you're thinking, well, you know what? I might stick with this new product or I might change to evolve further. So like the customer's expectations are continually evolving uh, based on what's been happening with the pandemic. And manufacturers have to be able to uh, be more resilient to keep up with these changing expectations or we will be in this supply chain disrupted world for years to come. Uh, that's one of the reasons I could keep going, but if you wanna, I don't wanna um, uh, just talk the whole time without you allowing you to answer me, answer questions or. <laughs> well, no, not, not, not a problem. Uh, my job is to ask the dumb questions and I guess yours is to ask, answer it very smartly <laughs> as, as you have been doing. <laughs> but, uh, now, now, Lisa, the, the talking heads on TV are continuously yammering daily, it seems, about supply chain problems. Well, supply chain issues are at the heart of your experience. How do we? How did we get into this fix? Tell us about that first off. All right, I will. And I uh, also I should throw out one more thing that occurred to me that your listeners are probably thinking about, and that is. What about the fact that labor costs are still higher here than they are in China, right? So what I would tell you is, is that the amount of uh, the labor costs as, the, as a percent of the total cost in a product has gone down significantly over the years because we have, for many reasons, one is, is just, uh, you know, we've redesigned products, we've automated uh, the cost of um, uh, transportation can keep going up, for example. So the labor, the percentage of labor costs has gone down. Also, the the labor cost in in like places like China continually goes up. And if you look at it as a total cost, the total cost for non commodity products, you know, if it's if it's lightweight, easy to ship, um, small and high labor component, it's not gonna be produced in the US for less money than it will be in China. However, for, for all the other products, it, it, if you add up all the costs and all the inventory and everything in the supply chain, even pre-pandemic, the costs were largely in alignment and Mexico's labor costs are actually less than China's are. So uh, it's more a matter of folks moved over and they invested capital and then they, you know, it, it became, they became stuck there and, you know, we have to find a way back. So, so anyway, I wanted to throw that out because I remembered that, uh, I thought that might be important to your listeners. Now, how do we get into this uh, situation? Well, it start, it did start with the pandemic. So the pandemic it's, but it's been a lot of things that's added up. So what happened during the pandemic is, is that we, so Asia shut down first and then and we were still, we were actually going like gangbusters in the US. Uh, so nothing was being produced in Asia as an example, um, but we were buying. Then Asia started opening up and we shut down in the US. And so at the time it's easier to explain with like 
the summer season of clothes. So we had like, for example, the summer season of clothes in, in warehouses, but we shut down. So no one is buying, well, no one was going out. <laughs> so no one needed to buy these clothes that were in the warehouses and they couldn't go out and buy them anyway. They could perhaps buy them online, but they decide, but they weren't. So basically we, uh, they're still in the warehouses. They were never purchased. Then we end up start to open up here. Well, now we need, now we're done with the summer. Like that's over. We want, you know, fall season or winter season. So now, but China was shut down. So those were delayed. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's like this never ending cycle. Once they arrive, then we still have these other clothes in the warehouses. So we now have to find new warehouses. It's that's just a warehouse example, but the same thing is going on like at the ports. So we don't have basically all the equipment, like there's chassis that you use to pull product off of the container. Um, there aren't enough chassis because they're sitting out in all these yards because we have so much product, it's just the wrong product. So the wrong products are in the wrong place at the wrong time and the wrong transportation, uh, like chassis, equipment, trucks, drivers, like everything is in the wrong place at the wrong time. So the supply chain is out of alignment. And then it was aggravated, of course, uh, by other things such, such as the Suez Canal. Uh, the, there was a ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. So everybody started rerouting. Well, not everybody, but some people were stuck there um, and they were just delayed. Others decided, you know what, I should reroute and they sh I should go a different route, or maybe I'll use a different mode of transportation. And so they, uh, or go, go to a different port. So basically they changed, similar to what I was saying earlier, consumers changing their buying behaviors, businesses also changed buying behaviors and they just moved to a different place. However, none of those moves were planned. So now we have more, less going through the Suez Canal, but all the equipment and everything's there and more going to other places where the equipment is not. And then we also had like the freeze in Texas, which, which um, increased the demand for several products like piping and those kinds of things because they broke. Um, and it also stopped production for a few weeks. Um, also stopping everything that was in its in motion uh, you know, further delaying things. So basically what I'm saying is, is a series of events that has gotten us to this point. And then we are also further aggravated now by the fact that there are no people uh, available anyway. There's a great resignation and a great reshuffling going on. So even if you can find, even if you can get and it's not all about products we buy from overseas. A lot of what's coming on boats and and other modes, even trucks, there's no truckers, is materials to produce uh, in the U.S. And, uh, you know, several of my clients, it's a constant battle. Like we're, they're constantly looking at material shortages here or there, having to um, test new materials, figure out creative solutions, those kinds of things. So it's, it's uh, that's how we got here. Does that does that help? 
I, it, it sounds like an absolute uh, night, nightmare, Lisa. <laughs> Is this something that the market will solve, the great market, quote unquote, or is this a government solution that has to be applied? Uh, it's, uh, well, I think it's going to have to be a combination of people working together. Uh, it, basically, we have to realign our supply chain and we have to also, it's not also going back to normal. It says there's going to be like a new normal because after all, we just got finished talking about the fact that the other reason that reshoring is happening is because of all these supply chain issues. So um, what executives have realized is, oh my gosh, I cannot be dependent on suppliers halfway around the world that could go out of business, that could just decide that I'm not a priority, or even if I am a priority, everything gets stuck uh, along the way. If I'm going to stay in business, I have to find ways to to at least be more resilient to continue manufacturing. And that's if you're manufacturing already in North America or somewhere, uh, somewhere that could keep going. So, you know, they're they're um, so that's why they're reshoring. They're saying, you know, I need to bring more back. Um, I need to partner with people who are in a region. So they're looking, they're really moving more to like a regional cluster where they're going to produce in, you know, where you can have suppliers, manufacturers in closer proximity to each other so that you can be more in control. So um, that's going to further change the supply chain. So I think that we are going to be in a state, a constant state of change that's just the new normal. So now what we need to do, it doesn't mean we have to be out of alignment, but we're gonna be in a constant state of change. So the smarter, proactive, innovative companies and executives are going to find ways to constantly change with this and get ahead of it. Like my client that's already moving production back, that doesn't mean it's always the right, the right answer, but in their case, it made more sense to do it. The point is though, they're thinking ahead and they're doing something before it's the most popular thing to do. And before, before it's too late, basically. So, you know, if yeah, th those types of folks are gonna be successful and they're gonna take volume from the rest because the rest don't have product and when customers no longer are willing to wait in today's world, you know, me included, we don't want to wait. So we, and that's not just consumers, businesses are the same. Like businesses can't afford to wait. Their lines shut down and they, you know, they, they can't serve their, their customers. So they find solutions. So the people who are resilient and can meet those needs are going to increase you know, are going to be more and more successful and build strength. Whereas the ones who, I don't know, you know, just don't have the cash, just don't have the people are, are not uh, innovative are going to, you know, dwindle if you will. So things will continue to change, but the, the stronger folks will get, will pull away from the pack and the weaker ones are going to, it depends on their situation, but if they're family business owners, they're, they're like, going to sell off or they're just going to close up shop or whatever they're going to do. <laughs> if it's a global company, it's obviously different. They have to, uh, you know, uh, still though, if they're weaker, they are going to, um, you know, they probably have to re realign their business, uh, targeting something different in the future.
Uh, Lisa, would you take a moment now to tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself and your company? Sure, sure. So I, I am a uh, business consultant. I work with manufacturers and distributors and help them through these these situations we've just been talking about. So a considered an expert in supply chain management, but what, and really my sweet spot is uh, a process that is actually a, um, a, one of the solutions, if you will, to this puzzle that we've been talking about. And that is how do you realign demand and supply within a company because doing it throughout the world is obviously a bit more of a challenge, but uh, for for a company, and how do you uh, prepare for the future so that you're ready to scale? And what that is is it's uh, where you're forecasting future demand, uh, better understanding what your customers and your customers' customers' needs really are, and then finding ways to. Um, uh, align that with your capacity. So like what kinds of people do you need? Numbers, numbers of people, but more importantly, skills. Uh, how do you uh, utilize technology? How do you, uh, what kind of storage do you need? What kind of manufacturing capacity? And how do you do that in a way that uh, serves the customer and uh, provides profitability for the company and better working capital, which is in essence, like lower, lower levels of uh, inventory spread throughout your supply chain. So that's what I do. And what I, um, how I got to this um, field, I've been consulting for about 16 years now. Before that, I was a vice president of operations and supply chain for a mid-market manufacturer. And uh, so that was, that was great experience. We, um, it was a family-owned business that uh, grew to uh, over a hundred million, and then they bought a uh, um, bought a division of PNG and also bought a smaller entrepreneurial company, uh, which which was a lot to take on. So we ended up uh, doing a, a bit of a turnaround, and then uh, found private equity backers, and uh, then I ended up having then we merged cultures because we had um it was really quite the challenge because we had you know a really entrepreneurial duct tape it type of culture and and a process disciplined culture which both had very different strengths so we had to combine the strengths and you know uh shore up the uh the weaknesses which both had so you know people process systems it was a it was definitely a 24 7 sort of role but excellent experience so that I can um, successfully help clients today. So I am quite glad to have uh, successfully emerged from that um, company because it was, I actually loved it at the time, had a great team, but I also would not want to do it again because it was all consuming. So I'm much happier uh, being able to help a variety of clients and see some, see results quickly. You probably have a website, someplace where people can get in touch with you. I do. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, HTTPS and then uh, www.lma-consultinggroup.com. Lisa, this is a puzzle that would uh, just go on forever, it seems a multi-dimensional chess game, if you will. 
But what would you like to uh, tell our viewers and listeners that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Well, I think what I'd like to do is is give them some hope (laughs) for this puzzle. So there are some things you can do uh, that will, uh, you know, that will help you be successful in this environment. So, you know, one one of those is to um, look at how you can be more resilient from a supply chain perspective. So evaluate where you're producing, uh, where you're producing product. Uh, think about reshoring or nearshoring. Uh, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing uh, state of mind either. You can look at having backup suppliers, uh, you know, just reassess your supply chain and reconfigures your supply chain is one. Uh, also look at how you set set up your your supply chain and your partners to make sure that, you know, because t- in today's world, we have a much more complex supply chain. It used to be that we had a supplier, a manufacturer, and a customer, maybe a distributor. And now, you know, we have this global supply chain with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of connections. So how do you simplify your supply chain? How do you how do you make it so that um, you can at least ha- simplify, have partners that you can trust where they, they are resilient as well? Because you're only as good as your weakest link. And if your weakest link is going to go out of business, you are in deep trouble. So y- y- uh, you need to make sure that you have uh, solid partners in today's environment, that's to be sure, uh, and ones that are looking at the future. So one is to be to do those types of activities, which is supply chain resiliency. The second is you need to be looking at your people because only the, only the um, companies that have people and have uh, talented people are gonna succeed. And with this um, great reshuffling going on and the great resignation going on, you're gonna have to look at your culture and you're gonna, make, you're gonna have to make sure that you are an attractive place to work. I think that we have gotten very used to in the last, I don't know, 20 years, maybe longer, of hiring people, hiring leaders to fill positions instead of developing them. And it's short, it's it takes longer periods of time to develop people. So that's a problem because we need everything fast. Uh, which is why we've been hiring them, but they are no longer available. So we are going to have to develop and develop quickly. Um, and it's just going to have to be a part of our process. So, uh, you know, have you put enough effort into developing and retaining, training, mentoring your, your, uh, your people? So there's a lot uh, that you can do there that's going to be very important because even if you do the third thing, you're gonna need more and more high skilled people and engaged people. So the third thing is you have to look at uh, technology and the use of data. Cause the other thing that uh, relates to your first question about reshoring is, um, you, you know, is uh, why would you, why would you reshore? And could you do that with the uh, cost structure differences between Asia and the US? And one of the ways you can is if you're utilizing technology. So if you're automating, using robotics, now you don't need to do all these things and you shouldn't, but you should figure out similar to the, to reconfiguring how you produce is let's take a step back and relook at what technology makes sense in your case and in your industry, instead of just jumping on some bandwagon. 
make sure that you have a modern ERP system uh, because that is really quite essential in today's world. It, it, it's been important all along, but um, I've made a um, healthy career out of helping people utilize any system that they have um, in addition to helping them select new systems. But really in 80%, if not 90% of clients' cases, we could, no matter how bad their ERP system is, we could find ways to utilize it better and they could be successful. And we can still do that. However, it's really not gonna be sufficient in the future. I mean, it'll just, it'll maybe help you survive, but not thrive because you have to, in today's world, things have just changed and your customers are more demanding. Uh, there's more requirements that are just not built in an old ERP system. So you have, so you need to modernize your ERP system. Hopefully you're already done that. And then you can use some advanced functionality such as like the fun things everyone talks about, like AI and the internet of things. And how do you combine that in your manufacturing and your supply chain uh, to be more effective um, and to, well, to provide a better, better, um, uh, service to your customer and to be able to be more efficient and profitable. So technology is going to be big for both of those reasons. And so is data because we're overloaded with data. Like there's so much data out there. It's crazy. Clients are, I could tell you a thousand examples, which I won't because it would be too long um, about clients that have problems with data and how that's oftentimes like one of the key solutions because they have all this information, but they don't know how to access the key information to make good decisions or to figure out what to innovate, first of all, or to even figure out what customers to target. Because in today's world, you may not be able to supply everyone. At the moment, none of my clients can supply everyone, even the smartest, but they can supply the customers of their future their most profitable customers, their customers that have been with them through thick and thin, those kinds of things. Uh, but you have to know who those people are <laughs> and which products those are, which is some, saying a lot for many companies. So data, data is your friend. You got to turn data into insights. So those are the three keys, I would say, is the supply, supply chain, manufacturing, resiliency, uh, the second being uh, looking at looking at your people as a strategic asset. And then the third is uh, technology and the use of data. And by the way, when with the technology side, although it's not going to be uh, a mass mass uh, produced item at the you know immediately, but 3D printing and additive, additive manufacturing can help you produce. It can be the nearshoring solution. You produce something, you print something up right close to your customer. They're happy. You have you have very little labor and but and you are, are quite successful there. So you uh, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of advantages to be looking at what you need to do across the board. Does that does that answer your question? I guess it does, but it also opens the door to many more questions. So hopefully we'll have you back at another time. Absolutely. I'm always happy to do that. You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.